Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Hurd, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast In Trust on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The eyes of the world, the eyes of the populations of the world are on you and we have your numbers. That lingering sensual fleas remains and we'll see what comes next. We need to make sure that what sits there on a piece of paper is actually going to turn into tangible, actionable projects on the ground that are going to make a difference to people's lives. Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Caroline Hepke. Good afternoon, I'm Ewan Potts. Well, bring your own booze. Boris Johnson is facing fresh calls to resign as Partygate gets fresh legs. That's after it was revealed that more than 100 Downing Street staff were invited to socially distanced drinks in the Garden of Number 10 in May 2020, back when such gatherings were banned under lockdown rules. Well, ITV News got its hands on the invitation sent by Boris Johnson's principal private secretary, Martin Reynolds, and the BBC is told the Prime Minister and his wife were among the 30 to 40 people who attended the gathering. That's sure to raise the eyebrows of Sue Gray. She's a civil servant tasked with investigating the alleged parties at Downing Street. Well, the Health Minister, Edward Argar, says that the government won't comment while the probe is ongoing. What actually happened or didn't happen in Downing Street is a matter for Ms Gray and she will uh, come up with her conclusions having interviewed uh, the relevant people, having looked at the evidence. Well, the Metropolitan Police says that they are in contact uh, over these alleged uh, rule-breaking incidents. Labour's Deputy Leader Angela Rayner says that the Prime Minister should go. Well, on the other big issue of the day, the rapidly rising cost of living labour is also forcing a vote in Parliament today on a plan to cut VAT on energy bills. If approved, Labour's motion would guarantee that Parliament debates legislation to cut the 5% levy on gas and electricity. Well, joining us now is Tamanjit Singh Desi, Senator Rail Minister and Labour Member of Parliament for Slough. Thanks so much for joining us uh, on the show today. Now, you made one of the most impassioned speeches in Parliament last year about uh, losing family members to COVID uh, and criticising the Prime Minister. What's your, uh, what's your take on, on what we've uh, heard today from ITV News? Ewan, uh, first of all, thank you for having me on uh, on Bloomberg Radio. And, uh, yeah, I'm absolutely incensed. It's just shocking that the individual leading our nation can be standing there lying, and there's no other word for it. I know we cannot use that word within Parliament. Uh, but he, he was there standing up saying, I- I'm incensed. I uh, feel shocked uh, at the behaviour of Downing Street staff. Uh, and now it seems that he's hiding behind an investigation. Uh, it doesn't take a genius to work out. If somebody is actually at a party, they can disclose. We don't need to uh, wait for this issue to be kicked into the long grass. And as you rightly pointed out, last year I stood up and I said, look, during that April-May time, 
you know, for the likes of myself, I could not be by the bedside of my dying grandmother in hospital. We were not allowed because those were the rules at the time. I could not uh, carry my grandmother's coffin on my shoulders. I was not there. We were not there, the wider family, when my fun-loving uncle was on a ventilator in hospital when he was breathing his last breath on this earth. Mm. And when my brother-in-law's father somehow contracted COVID, we were not allowed to be by his bedside during his final moments. So people across our country have not been able to be with their dying loved ones. Many people have endured mental health issues because of loneliness, because they were not allowed to congregate. And for a prime minister to be holding that uh, booze party within Downing Street, less than an hour after his cabinet minister has announced that people can only meet one individual outside of their household at socially distanced, and here yeah. we have an invite that was sent to around 100 odd people. Well, this just this is shocking. And, and, the, and, and, and I also like to ask, well, what is the Met Police doing? You know, the Met Police should be investigating these things. We don't need internal investigations uh, ad nauseum. Tan, uh, I listened to that speech when you gave it uh, and it struck a chord. I'm sure it struck a chord with the 150,000, the families of the 150,000 people who have died from COVID. Having said that, 2022, to me, it feels like a new a new year, perhaps turning over a new leaf. People don't want to think now anymore, I suppose, about COVID and how difficult it, it was in some ways. How much, you know, d- does that call for the prime minister to resign? How much is that really going to resonate? How much will it stick? It, it seems like a cry into the void at the moment. Well, Caroline, there may be people who, who may think, so what, parties? Well, look, it matters to me and it matters to millions of other people because people made huge sacrifices in the midst of that pandemic when we couldn't be with loved ones, when we were suffering on our own. Uh, and our loved ones were suffering on their own. People, for example, in prison, they've been complaining to say that look, we were locked up for more than 23 hours a day because of this, uh, in the height of this pandemic. There have been constituents writing to me saying this is just absolutely ridiculous. We need to get rid of uh, you know, uh, some of these inconsistencies in the, in the prime minister's uh, rules. But what mm. happens... But the Prime Minister's not going to resign over this issue, surely, is he? There, there's no pressure like, on it, him it, to do so, is there? Caroline, we could expect somebody to do the honourable thing if they actually were honourable, if they had that integrity, if they cared about our country, our rules-based order, our values. Uh, and it seems to me that time and time again, when we need leadership from a Prime Minister, it is, we have been found wanting from him. Uh, when it came to ministerial uh, breaches, uh, for example, when his own Home Secretary was found to have bullied uh, her staff, what happened? Uh, because he was the ultimate arbiter uh, for uh, these rules and the ministerial code, he let her off the hook. When it came to his own health secretary, who uh, another p- person who was preaching to the rest of us mm. about obeying COVID rules, when he was found to be having an affair uh, with uh, somebody within his own team, uh, again, he tried to protect the, the health secretary. It was only because of the deluge from amongst the wider British public and people writing into MPs, including to mm. Conservative MPs, then that had to do a U-turn. When it came to his okay. own uh, principal advisor uh, going for uh, going to Barnard Court, mm. 
What about the issues though at the moment, Tan? I've got limited time, so I'm so sorry to jump in. What about protecting the NHS at this point? Do you see any further significant lockdowns or is that a thing of the past? The next few weeks are going to be incredibly challenging for the NHS. Did the government make the right call not to introduce further restrictions over Christmas? Was that the right move? We have always uh, been saying that we need to follow the science, we need to follow, follow the data, so in terms of COVID, uh, we have been looking very, very closely at what our chief medical officer and the chief scientific advisor are saying uh, and uh, what uh, individuals within the NHS are saying in terms of protecting our NHS, uh, that we do not want them to be over capacity. So th- that's the, the, going to be the ultimate uh, issue uh, in terms of how we Set our COVID restrictions. We supported the government in terms of their Plan B. I know many of their own Conservative backbenchers did not support the government, but we have, uh, the Labour Party, have always tried to do what is in the best uh, national interest rather than playing party politics uh, Ta- with this. Tan, I want to ask you about the uh, ongoing uh, cost of living crisis. Now, energy bills are set to rise by perhaps 50 or 60 percent in April. That's going to mean hundreds and hundreds of pounds a year for millions of people. And millions of people are going to struggle with that. Uh, Labour's calling for 5 percent off. Is that really the best you can do? Well, uh, Ian, uh, in terms of the cost of living crisis, that's something else that's been precipitated uh, by the lack of leadership and and the uh, catastrophic decisions that have been taken uh, by the government uh, in, in recent times. They've also decided uh, that they uh, were going to abolish, get rid of the gas storage facilities, which means that now we are more susceptible to such uh, hikes in uh, energy prices. So what we are saying is that, firstly, we need to help households so um, to get rid of the VAT uh, on household energy bills for the year. I think that would be uh, very much appreciated because many people are uh, deciding whether they're going to heat their home or whether they're going to put food on the table. We also need to make sure, and we, we want to do this by uh, having uh, a windfall tax, uh, a carbon uh, tax in, in essence, uh, on North Sea energy producers. Uh, and I think that uh, when they would be forced to pay £1.2 billion, pounds, that would help to mitigate uh, many of those household uh, bills as well. We also, uh, as a Labour Party, uh, are saying that we need to increase the warm homes discount uh, mm-hmm. from a paltry £140 a week uh, at present uh, to actually uh, around £400 uh, per year. Yeah, uh, While doubling the number year, of households yeah. that are eligible to £9.3 million. Uh, um, so yeah, it, yeah. Sorry. Okay, so so then, what about? I mean, the other big thing that's going to hit in April, of course, is the um, increase in national insurance payments in order to pay for social care and the NHS. Is that something that should be scrapped because that is a tax on, you know, all working people, pensioners? That that's going to also significantly impact household uh, finances. Caroline, we've been saying that uh, the the government actually promised in their manifesto that they would not be increasing uh, taxes. And now the way that they have uh, decided to increase taxes is actually going to hit working people the most because of that record-breaking increase in national insurance. And what that now means is that uh, hard-working Brits will be saddled with the highest tax burden since the 1960s. Uh, and it's uh, estimated uh, by the experts that the average ho- household by 2026, uh, 27, will be actually paying £3,000 more tax uh, than when Boris Johnson actually became Prime Minister. So 
that's no way to be going about trying to solve a cost of living crisis. Uh, and at a time when we should be supporting households, we should not be saddling them uh, with extra uh, tax burden, especially uh, on uh, national insurance hikes. Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Hurd, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast In Trust on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, let's have a look at what else is making news in the world of politics. And for that, we're joined by Bloomberg's James Wilcock. Great to have you in the studio, James. So we've talked a bit about Partygate, about the cost of living crisis. Um, When there are so many other things going on in UK politics, why are we still talking about Partygate? Hello, it's lovely to be back for the new year. I think, right. To get into it, that you can get bored by just the sheer amount of parties that are going on. That is certainly what the Conservatives were hoping, there would be some fatigue. But I think what is interesting is you are starting to see this show up in the polls. Now, obviously there are caveats. One poll just shows a trend. In election time, people are balancing a number of different things. However, if you look at some of the stats that are coming out, Opinion did some research on the 7th. Uh, and 8th of January and they said that of the UK public they polled 65% of people believe rules weren't being followed in Downing Street 52% of Conservative voters thought rules weren't being followed Hmm. um, if you look at people who think Boris Johnson the Prime Minister was telling the truth about what was going on in Downing Street only 12% of those polled did and 16% of people in the UK believe the moon landings probably were staged sorry hang on yeah Yeah. 16% 16%. of people in Britain think that the moon landings were staged that is correct if you look up the figures there was a polling done a, few, a couple of years ago and okay. uh, so, now, so less people than that think that Boris Johnson is telling the truth about Downing Street parties. <laughs> that's and a great I uh, love that comparison that is pretty interesting and that figure the, uh, was before the, the latest email that was, okay. so you can see the trend where that's going and that means for Johnson that undermines his credibility in the party now talking about credibility we've got a lot of important elections coming up in May how is this going to affect the party standing as we go through 2022? I mean, you can already see the battle lines being drawn. Labour, just in the past few minutes, have called an urgent question, and there'll be a debate by the time this podcast is going out, I'm sure, about how uh, like Labour see this as a way in which they can sort of take the Tories to town for being sort of, uh, lackadaisical and like negligent even. It's interesting that Angela Rayne will be doing this urgent question because Keir mm-hmm. Starmer is isolating for yes. the sixth time. Sixth, so, gosh. I know. And that's the comparison that they'll be trying to draw. And as well as this, this sort of a potential flaw in sort of Johnson's authority sets up issues around, say, energy price rise, which you were talking about earlier with yes. your guest, where... 
Tory MPs will be very worried that they'll be coming off the back of this negative press into them people seeing their real life costs go up and seeing like, what is this government doing for them? And yet, on the other hand, there have been so many U-turns also by the government that there's still quite a lot of uncertainty, I think, in some senses about what the government's going to do to try to address energy prices. And then even maybe with the national insurance rise, you know, there have been questions in Cabinet around that according to reports. James, always fascinating to get your perspective uh, on what's happening in Westminster. Many more to come in this new year, 2022. That is Bloomberg's James Wilcock. Nice stuff. Thanks, James. Well, let's uh, change gear now and get an update on Omicron and the health service. From today in England, if you don't have symptoms but a lateral flow test is positive, you no longer need to take a PCR to confirm the result. Meanwhile, the head of King's College London's told the BBC that 10% of his 14,000 staff are still unvaccinated. Well, uh, from April, frontline NHS workers in England will need to have the COVID jab or they'll be removed uh, and moved on perhaps to another role. Let's discuss this with John Restall, who's chief executive of Managers in Partnership, which is the union for health and care managers. John, really good to have you back on Bloomberg Westminster with us. Omicron seems perhaps to be past the peak in London. Do you agree? What's the picture like in hospitals now outside of the capital? So certainly um, people are reporting that in London the figures are are better uh, than you know, worst-case scenarios. So that would suggest that we have reached uh, some form of peak. And where London starts, you know, the rest of the country does follow. So I think there's still plenty more uh, to happen, you know, in the next week or so outside of London. But uh, certainly what we're hearing from our members uh, and certainly being reported is that in London things have reached a, a peak moment. Staff shortages are clearly a, a massive problem in the NHS at Definitely. the moment. Definitely. Has, has reducing the isolation period from 10 to 7 days uh, made a difference? And what about if it went to 5? Well, I think that's really hard to quantify, uh, you know, what difference it would make. And I think the way, you know, if you're a busy service manager at the moment, you're worried about lots of different angles of staff shortages. And, you know, I think I spoke about when I was on last time, we are carrying an historic amount of vacancies anyway. So there's about 100,000 positions that have never been filled uh, throughout this pandemic, which, of course, create capacity issues. But the latest figures still suggest 100,000 staff taking sickness absence. Um, And to give you a sense of that, that's about 7 or 8% of the whole workforce. So it is really difficult to uh, manage any kind of service when you're carrying a sort of underlying vacancy rate plus sickness absence, some of which obviously uh, is, is driven by factors other than Omicron and the variant. But there will be, you know, people are very tired, for example, there's welfare issues with themselves. Uh, so it's not simply about managing, you know, the, the isolation period. And I think where people are getting really concerned is the sustainability of, uh, you know, the long-term vacancy rate once, what? hopefully, Omicron... John, uh, why are so back. many jobs vacant? Tell us, tell us why those 100,000 positions uh, have been unfilled for so long. I think it, it, it's partly, you know, that it's partly around the perception that it's, uh, it's a difficult uh, job to, to do, it's a, a difficult industry to join. I think it's a long-term trend, and that's you know, anything that's long term and big is very hard to turn around. Uh, some jobs, as we know, particularly around medicine, but also other clinical roles, take a very long time to train for. 
Uh, but I suspect that a big chunk of what we are going to see next year is what we've seen over the last five years is more people leave than join. And it's about keeping people in post as much as hiring new staff and training new staff. And I think, you know, where a lot of our members are looking for the government to um, sort of take a lead on is the longer term workforce plan. I mean, all the analysis around the health service suggests that even if you threw masses more money at it, the absence of enough staff is going to be what holds you back in terms of recovering from uh, the pandemic, uh, uh, developing services and expanding into areas, uh, you know, the, the mental health services, social yes. care, all of that is, is staff that's you- determined. Do you have any confidence then? I mean, we are—we were talking earlier about the, the, the increase in national insurance contributions. Yeah. And it's going to hit, you know, pretty much everybody across the country, anyone who's working. Um, that comes in April to pay for the NHS and, and social care. Um, does You've talked about money perhaps not making a difference, but, but people are going to be very aware of, of this, aren't they? Do you have any confidence in the government in their strategy to help lift the NHS and social care going forwards? I think they've got to do a number of things. I think the the first thing they're going to have to do is create some space for the NHS. So I think once, let's hope Omicron dies down and we we learn to quite live with uh, with COVID, then all the pressure in government will be to get as much out of the NHS as quickly as possible and certainly before the next election. I think they're going to have to be fairly courageous politically and just let the NHS do what it can. Hold it to account, by all means, but not stand at its shoulder and mark everything it does, because I think that is always the temptation, particularly in the NHS. So I think that, that's a big one. And if they can start to do things like that, that would give confidence. I think the second one is they're going to have to level with the public. You know, 7 to 10 million people probably need some form of support, care, intervention from the NHS. That is a massive backlog, and it, it's not just the elected backlog that's already been identified, you know, cataracts and other operations. It's people, you know... I'm, one of them who has not gone to the GP because we're worried about whether we'd be seen or whether, you know, there's a, there's a more urgent need out there. So there's, there's masses and masses of need. And from the picture I've just painted, it's not going to be met anytime soon. And I think the real risk is government gives the impression that as soon as the last Omicron case is, uh, is recorded, then the system will just switch back to normal. It won't. It's going to be five, maybe even 10 years before the NHS properly recovers from from what's happened and then thirdly there's got to be something on workforce so a much longer term strategy around workforce for the first time in since i've worked in and around the nhs well-being of staff is seen as a major strategic issue and i Mm. think that's good but that needs to be sustained for the longer term Mm. people will need to be paid to attract them in uh, and we'll need to be, you know, recruiting and training more staff in John, numbers that, you know, are huge. John, I want to ask you about staff, Sorry. actually. Potentially thousands of thousands of uh, NHS staff haven't had their vaccine. Yeah. Is the service ready for an exodus of, of frontline staff? This is coming down the line quite soon, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely not. And I think, you know, we, this, I mean, mandatory vaccination is a really difficult one because I think, you know, if like me, you believe that vaccination has a massive you know, benefit to staff about keeping them safe and obviously preventing them from having to take even longer periods of absence or indeed, you know, presenting as serious cases themselves. You would say that there's an obvious logical case for it. The fact is, as the guy in London said recently, huge numbers of people are not 
taking that vaccine. And I think you've got to decide ultimately whether it's better for someone to be unvaccinated and providing some sort of care than having a vacancy and nobody giving care. And that, unfortunately, is the practical, whether you think that mandatory vaccination is the right or wrong thing, that is the practical reality of someone. If 80% of a midwifery team say they're not going to get vaccinated, what are you going to do? You know, you can't redeploy them. You can't dismiss them without a massive impact on care in, in a particular part. And I think we've you know, we as a union, and I know this mm. is shared by others, have always argued it's the long, hard grind of persuading people about why this is a good thing to do. And, yeah. you know, we have seen with, say, the flu vaccine, that approach work uh, if it's, you know, fully resolved and you stick at it year after year after year. It's not a one, uh, you know, one uh-huh. hit uh, fix, which I think is yeah. how the government presents it. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. To address our new climate reality, the world needs radical solutions. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment, hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.